0: Well, we have some mics that are going to be available uh, roaming around as we kind of dig deeper into this this evening. And uh, who's our mic runners? Who do we got? We have Dave and we have Landon. All right. Very cool. All right. Let's um, push the text up there. We'll just advance that just a little bit more. What are some things, and we'll have some conversation with one another, there's our text. What are some things that maybe stood out uh, to you this morning, maybe some applications, maybe something you learned or something you were reminded of that you've already studied? Anything kind of pop out at all, anything at all? Yes, okay, we have Al over here. Anyone after Al, will get you lined up in a queue. Anyone else? Anyone other than Al? Okay, we'll be out of here by 20 after, and then we have, okay, you're it, all right, um, so draw it out, brother, here we go. You don't like newspapers and cell phones. Is that really your observation? <laughs> okay, well, thank you, straight from the text, yes, I love, no, uh, no go ahead. You, you, can be, you can be a bird mm-hmm. and eat the food, but still not know everything. Yeah, Yep. okay, and do you see that tendency in our lives at all? Do you see it personally in your life at all? Because we see it in your life, Al. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. No. (laughs) I think we all can see that in our lives a little bit. Did Rochelle, did you have something as well? Okay. Well, I was going to say don't be a bird, but thankfully I learned more than one thing. So I'll say um, that Paul uses emotions for good, and he was provoked. And it's a good reminder to use our emotions for God's glory, especially in the waiting. Yes. Yes. Emotions are a fuel. Absolutely. And to use them. Yes. Over, over here. I thought it was really interesting how there really is nothing new under the sun because yeah. the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers has got the same kind of thinking we see in our culture now. Yes which really pushes us all the way back into Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes and Lamentations. There's nothing new under the sun. It just kind of cycles through. We have materialist, humanists, and uh, spiritualism, and everything in between. Excellent point. I saw another hand. Observation. Okay, we got right over here. Thank you, Landon. Observations, things that you've learned, or maybe even personal applications. Yes. Well, what, I thought one of the reasons the Athenians... Athens was the place of religion, was that they were accepting of everything. Yes. And they weren't discerning as to what was true or not. They were just, we'll just add it all together. Yep. Nice melting pot of polytheism, pantheism, agnosticism, humanism, materialism. Absolutely. You know, to touch on that, and we're going to touch on it tonight, it's almost as though, and I'm going to borrow from you in a way that you're right, that everything was acceptable except exclusivity. Yep. Everything was acceptable unless you said it was the one and only. So excellent point. Anyone else? Observations, things that stood out to you? Brother Steve Poling. Most more of a question. Okay. Uh, You said something that sort of tickled my mind and that was that you said that the Athenians saw Paul as pitching this yet another God, Jesus. Uh And... a a goddess, some kind of divine femininity associated with the the resurrection. Correct. Where did... Wow, that's sort of... I'd never heard that before. How did the resurrection get... How did they construe Paul's message into this notion that the resurrection um, is some kind of divine feminine? Okay. Excellent question, Steve. Anyone else that. Uh, actually, I say that because we are going to unpack it in just a little bit, so you'll, you'll get a thorough answer that I made up out of thin air. No, I'll be honest with you. I was studying this week, studying studies. studying. I don't know about you, but I'm studying and I'm like, I'd never heard of this before in my life. And I'll tell you how we got there, but we will be answering that. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's it's interesting that Paul actually abandons the topic of resurrection for a little bit. And then he returns to it in verses thirty one through thirty two. You'll see that in the, your copies. Barbara. Yes. Reason. Again. I mean we've seen that in how many weeks now Paul sits down and reasons Reasons. With them. And he's, not he's reasoning with them. Yeah, he's dialoguing. He's having a one the two way conversation, absolutely. Something we all could, could, could uh, do well to do more of in our lives. He the answer. He mm-hmm. had the answer from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But he gave them time to ask their questions and mm-hmm. go through their own process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent point. Excellent point. It's almost as though you spend the whole week with a, a theologian. <laughs> Or so, I'm joking. <laughs> Barbara teaches me more than I do her. Any other uh, observations, things that you saw? Anything else? Okay, we got over here. Uh, just that God gave Paul an open door during that time, as he does for us as well. Amen. Amen. And to borrow from that or to um, jump on the coattails of that, his opportunity was while he was waiting well he was just waiting for his brothers uh, Timothy and Silas to show up anyone else observations thoughts Go okay we have his, his spirit was being provoked you know all, you know that we would listen you know he's listening to his spirit his spirit was being provoked and you know that we would do the same thing mm-hmm. yeah the spirit was being provoked. Yep, know, excellent. Anyway, um Tim. You know, I'm always surprised how God prepares people for a certain situation. And in my opinion, Paul's the only one with his background and his training that could actually even reason with these people in a way. And for me, it's like, God is always preparing me for a certain situation. Mm-hmm. So I have to be ready. And Paul was ready while he was waiting. Yep. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Anyone else? Going once, going twice. Awesome. Okay. Now that we kind of reminded that, let's have a brief word of prayer. We'll ask that the Holy Spirit would be our primary teacher and that we would be able to see what he intended to mean in this text. Gracious Father, we come before you. We thank you for your good and perfect gift, Jesus Christ. We ask that your Holy Spirit, that you give us as a deposit until the day of redemption, would help us to understand your word, um, not just intellectually, but um, within our heart as well, in our applications. We pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our ears to your word. Um, And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so here we go. We're going to dig in a little bit deeper into this text. We're going to start out with the words, um, full of idols. I think it is. Yes, there it is. Observing that it was full of idols. Now, interesting enough, one uh, uh, book I was reading by by the author Stott, Scottish guy, says that the words full of idols in the Koine Greek here could also be translated submerged in idols. I like that imagery there. The city was submerged in idols. Another way to translate it was a, a forest of idols. It was overgrown with um, idol worship in pagan gods. And I just kind of like the imagery of that because it's going to help us understand kind of what Steve Poling brought up about how did we get to this this misconception that Paul was trying, and I'm going to say this, and it is not to say it out of shock value. I do not want to teach out of shock value, but it's in the text here. So I'm going to just bring it up in kind of a contemporary general term, how the Athenians thought mistakenly that Paul was teaching about Jesus and um, the goddess resurrection, if I could put it in more They mistakenly thought that uh, they were teaching Jesus and the one he was dating. Now, I don't mean that in a shock value. You're going to see that come up here, and it starts here. He seems to be, in fact, we're basically going to get one or two applications out of our digging deep in here, and the biggest one will be in this. He seems to be proclaiming strange deities. Now, here's start out with just a fun fact here. I don't think this will change your world too much. But the word deities here can be translated, and this kind of leads us into the shallow waters before we get into the deep waters. This word deities here can be translated in a way that could refer to whether it be a demon or any kind of pagan deity, really any spiritual being. They are surrounded by and submerged in a forest of idols. So they throw out a word here that is for pagan uh, deities, really Um, or idols or any statue that what they do here is they use a word to point into the general direction of anything outside of the material world he is talking about spiritual deities whether demon angel or god now to be honest here the athens enjoyed and, and and my sister here brought this up they enjoyed learning about many deities they enjoyed this. This is not like this is a strange thing for them, i.e. there's two statues for every one person in Athens. And we see this in the words, they spent their time in nothing other than telling and hearing of new things. I think we have that high, yes highlighted there. As long as the new idea or the new demon or the new deity or the, the new angel, whatever it may be, as long as that new idea or God was not exclusive And, now grab this, did not contradict the way the government believed. Let me put it this way. In 5th century BC, Athens was considered the cradle of democracy. The cradle of democracy. And they would tolerate and be open to almost any new teaching or religion or deity or worship style as long as it did not declare exclusivity or contradict the government. Hmm. There might be some surface level application coming to here. Cradle of democracy and was accepting of anything as long as it was not exclusive. If only we could relate culturally to this in any way, shape, or form. As my sister brought up over here, there's nothing new under the sun. But not much changes with man. I think it's important to note that how they were treating Paul at this time was very much the way they would have treated many people who brought in new ideas. Curious, they wanted to hear about it. It's not like they know Paul represents Christianity at this time, to be honest with you, or at this point. Christianity in many ways is in its infancy, and they would have heard at least, I think, fair to say, a very little bit about this resurrected Christ at this time, especially in Europe and in Athens. In fact, if you remember this morning, I told you that Athens was the intellectual uh, um, um, center of the world, if you will, where we had Socrates, Aristotle, and, and Plato that made this their home. For instance, they're not treating Paul any differently than they would other people. Now, they will in a minute, but let me start out with this. little interesting fact. When Socrates came into Athens teaching about strange deities, he also believed in many pagan gods, Plato actually addressed Socrates in very much the same way Paul's being addressed by the Epicureans and Stoics at this time. This is an actual, um, um, I don't want to say copy, it's a um, quote from Plato, who is writing about Socrates in 399 B.C. And he said this. Now this is roughly 2,400 years old. Plato wrote this. Socrates is a wrongdoer because he corrupts the youth and does not believe in the gods the state approves of, all right? that the state believes in, but he teaches in other gods. They didn't like that. And it is here that we begin to see a sea change in the text that, that Steve brought up a little bit ago. Now, one thing that would have made Paul's teaching strange is because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. I want you to grab that. Now, this is where we're going to dig in a little bit deeper and we're going to notice something. And I, I think that most of us have never seen before. All right. And I know I haven't as well. He is strange because he is preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Notice he started with the resurrection. When he began teaching them, it says right up there, if we can help me find it right here, right there in the orange. He was preaching, That's back that up. Jesus was preaching, uh, or Paul was teaching Jesus and the resurrection. So he starts his sermon delivery with that. I want you to follow me here. Now we can hit the button. This is a very polytheistic culture okay? This is not westernized America, it's not West Michigan, and it's not the northeast side of Grand Rapids. This is, this is Athens, and they are very polytheistic. And by polytheistic, what do I mean? Throw out some words. What is polytheism? Many, 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 many gods. You could say submerged in them. That's important to our approach of interpreting this text. We talked about what polytheism means. Now look closely. With polytheism in mind, not monotheism that we grew up with, but with polytheism in mind, I want you to look at the words again very closely. Jesus and the resurrection. Now, we see this in westernized Christianity in, in our eyes, and we have the whole Bible. We have 2,000 years of after Christ. We have, co- we have the Puritans. We have our forefathers. We have church history. We have commentaries. We have John MacArthur, who corrects the Greek, okay? A decent. I appreciate his ministry. He's a thorn in my side. Now, let's move forward, all right? I, I read all those books. In our eyes, all right, we have the whole Bible and a lifetime of teaching and understanding of what this means, Jesus and the resurrection. Frankly, even those who have very little understanding of the word of God, who are lost, who are atheists, understand the term Jesus and the resurrection. These people in Athens, however, in a very polytheistic culture, all right, They see it as polytheistic Europeans who have never heard of Jesus. Now, I want to stop here for a moment. How important it is, we must stop trying to interpret the Bible the way we see it today and how it just relates to us on the surface. Now, there is some surface value to that. I'm not just throwing that away. I'm just saying there is deeper meaning to first see it through the eyes of the original recipients and how they would have took it so then we could translate it and bring it into our lives today with a current application that is accurate that's what we need to see it through here now here's where it's going to start to pop pop jesus here is a proper name written in the masculine gender all right the word resurrection in the greek is the word anastasius and it is written in the feminine gender And they are hearing this for the first time through what kind of lens? Talk to me. It starts with poly and ends with ism. What kind of lens do they see it through? Polytheism. Many, many gods submerged in them. Forests of them. So what we have here is a masculine proper name, Jesus, and a feminine gender name, Anastasius. Resurrection. Now, look at the word strange deities is it in the singular or is it in the plural talk to me class church it's in the plural deities is in the plural you and i see these words and we see jesus in the resurrection we think about the one true god and what he did so that he might conquer death and we might have life that's just how we see it they all right that is not how they thought they think because of a polytheistic culture of many gods that Jesus is masculine and Anastasius, the resurrection, is feminine. They think that Paul is teaching in a polytheistic fashion about a God named Jesus and his divine partner, a goddess named Resurrection. They think that Paul is teaching about two gods, hence the plural form of deities in this culture. Now, add to the fact Let us not forget that they're not necessarily being super nice to Paul. While they may be treating him very similar as uh, 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 Plato would have treated Socrates, they've already tipped their hats about how they feel about him when they called him an idle babbler, a seed picker. One commentator, uh, one theologian by the name of Barrett said this, they called him a third-rate journalist. We talked about that this morning. They are accusing Paul of being an ignorant copycat, one who looks around and creates out of thin air two more gods, a god named Jesus and a goddess named Resurrection. Now, when I read that this, uh, this week, and I was studying this out, I thought, surely I have drifted into oblivion. Does anyone else feel like, I think you did too, Pastor, all right? So I started to go, okay, I'm going to open up these books. I'm going to go to the stalwarts of the faith, and I'm just going to see what they have to say, because I, I get nervous when I enter into new waters, even if it's in the weeds of the text, And I open up uh, the theologian Longnecker, and and, and it says here, clearly that Luke here is referring to the Athens belief that the resurrection was referring to a goddess. Well, that's an anomaly. I throw that book away. And I pull out Edwards, James Edwards, not to be confused with Jonathan Edwards in Little House on the Prairie, but the James Edwards. And and he says, this is speaking about a goddess named Anastasius. And it was a confusing moment here. So I thought, okay, coincidence. I throw the book away. And I take out Barrett. He says the same thing. And I throw that away. And I pull out the big guns. Anyone got an idea who the big gun is? Anyone at all? Who? No. Google? Google? No, because everything was over five minutes. And I wasn't going to commit that much. I pull out Jonathan MacArthur. Of course, I take a knee and I say a word of prayer and I open the book. And there's John MacArthur, who's, by the way, not a bastion of liberal theology. Can I get a witness there? I enjoy his straightforward teaching. And I read in here and it goes, clearly, the Athenians are speaking... That are thinking that Anastasius, i.e. the Greek form of resurrection in the feminine gender, is clearly speaking about a goddess attached to the masculine god, Jesus. I'm going to be honest with you, I got a little annoyed. Why have I never been taught this? Why have I, I've grown up, and I say this a lot, Shiite Baptists. I've, I've, I grew up in the church. I grew up under the word. And sometimes I'm I'm thankful that I'm learning something. I get frustrated that I've never been taught this before. Why the high flyover of, of, you know, here's some practical truths on, on how to get through your Monday. Which is valuable, but there's more to that. There's confusion going on here. Here's my point. Have you ever said the words, you're not hearing me? Anyone at all? Anyone ever said those words? Clearly you have said them too. I'm just seeing that. You're not hearing me. What does this mean when someone says, you're not hearing me? Talk to me. Anyone at all? You're not understanding. You nailed it. There's no reason to go any further. You're not understanding me. It means you might be hearing my words... But you're not understanding what I'm saying. There are times when Amy and I will get into arguments. But really, because we're in the ministry, we won't call it an argument. We'll call it a different way of viewing our own personal holiness, all right? And I'm dissecting and parsing every word she says and the the etymology of that word because it's a defense mechanism and it's also just how my brain works, And she will say the words, uh, uh, and rightfully so, you're not hearing what I'm saying. And it has taken me many, 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 many years to learn to say, tell me what you mean. And we will start and start over. That's what Paul has to do here. That's what Paul has to do here. He sees that they are insulting him, seed picker. They're not hearing what he's saying. He hears the plural word deities. He hears the word strange teachings. He hears the word th- third-rate journalist, and he realizes he must abandon the track of Jesus and the resurrection. But they, because they are confusing things right now, and he has to start over. Now, you may say that is a huge leap. It's not. We're going to We're going to trip over it if we just read the text. You can see it pop right out of your text, which we're going to study next week. Again, this is all prep. Isn't it beautiful when you understand in in high definition color everything that is going on before Paul says, I see you have an altar to an unknown God. All of a sudden it's a little bit deeper. Deeper see it pop right out of the text in this culture. Notice here, he leaves the topic of Jesus and the resurrection. Why does he leave the topic of the resurrection? It's right there. They're confused. They're not hearing what he's saying. And he moves to areas of common ground. He starts over. And advances a view that would that would not seem as ridiculous and they would be able to follow. Now, if you have your Bibles, it's not going to be up there. I'm just going to kind of walk through some of the things he does in rapid formation here. He starts out by complimenting them. I see that you're very religious. He says that in verse 22. I see that you're very religious. Then he moves into personal logic. I see that you have an altar to an unknown God. Let me let me use that as a, a jumping-off point so that you don't think I'm talking about a, a masculine God and his goddess. I see you have an unknown an altar to an unknown god. That's verse 23. He starts with personal association. Even your prophets talk about this. Now, now Paul could have drawn from all of the Old Testament to prove his point, but he doesn't. He draws from their own pagan poets because he wants to bring them along. Then he goes into the origin of life, which would have been a very common ground. Most people believed back then that the, the earth was created. Crazy people you find that in verse 24. You'll see the prophets in verse 28. And so on, and so on, and so on. And when he gets done unpacking the importance of the one true God who created the universe and the need to repent of their sins... After he gets done taking the long roundabout and bringing them back, he then returns to the subject of the resurrection in verses 31 through 32. So he abandons it. He establishes a stronger foundation so they don't mishear what he's trying to say. And then he returns to the subject of the resurrection in 31 verse 32, which is the climax of the speech. Only now when he talks about the resurrection... They know he's not talking about Jesus. Uh, They know that he's talking about what Jesus did, not who his goddess is. My friends, sometimes we just have to stop and read the room. To read the room in our evangelism in order to make sure we are communicating in a way that the listener understands stands. There is a responsibility that comes with our evangelism. Understanding, here it is, who we are talking to, how they view the world, establish common ground, and the return to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we understand what he does and why he does it next week. And he looks at them and says, if you would just reach out, you would see that he is not far from you. And I'm not talking about his goddess. I'm talking about him conquering the grave. I don't know about you, but I found that to be, as a nerd, super cool. Now, with all that being said, we'll peel back all this busyness and all that we understand, and we'll just let the pure text be our application. Oh, wow. Wow. You guys are getting out early. You're welcome. Now while while Paul was waiting, he wasn't idle. He was proactive. After he has traveled 200 miles and he is waiting for his brother in Athens, the intellectual and religious center of the world, his spirit was angered. Reviled. He hated what he saw. And it was, all of that was within him as he observed that the city was submerged in idols, the application that falls from that. Do we get. Uh, necessarily upset or appropriately upset when God's glory is taken from him and in our own lives. The application just starts bleeding out in between the text here. So he reasoned, brought that up, he reasoned and had dialogue in the synagogue with the Jews, which is his custom to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. But he just didn't huddle around people who held the same political views or made himself comfortable he had the audacity to make his way into the marketplace every day in between the Sabbath as he waits for his brothers and talk to anyone who happened to be present. Even the bookends of society, humanism and spiritualism, we're conversing with them. And some were saying, what would this idle seed-picking babbler wish to say in the application that falls from that? Are we more than seed-pickers in our knowledge of God's word? Or are we comfortable with high flyovers that make us just smart enough to help us sleep at night? He seems to be a proclaimer of, of plural gods. He seems to be preaching about Jesus and the goddess Anastasius. And, they, and, and Paul says, "You know what? I'm going to read the room here." And they took him and brought him out to asparagus, saying, "May we know this new teaching in which you are proclaiming, for you are bringing up some strange plural things to our ears? So we want you to know what the, we, want, we want to know what these things mean." And then Luke sees the irony in the margin of the page. He says, "You know what? They're calling him a seed picker, but they did the very same. And next week, we'll see Paul take a breath with all these majestic buildings around him scattered with pagan gods and see that they're not hearing him. And he will start all over, he will find common ground, he will use it as a launch pad to bring them back to the resurrection. And if you look closely, the repentance of sin, repentance is necessary for salvation. It is a gift. It is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. If you don't see repentance in your life, both positionally and sanctificationally, if I could use that word, you might want to revisit the point of salvation because it is the kindness of God and it is a gift. And he starts all over and then he comes back to the resurrection because we have a responsibility to make sure who we are talking about understands what we're saying. Gracious heavenly father, our prayers that we would be Bereans and not seed pickers. Thank you for this church family. May we be in love with your word because it is your word that points to you. I pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you for coming, everyone. Enjoy your 20 minutes of idle time. Don't waste it, all right? Have a good night.